Welcome to episode 14. This is an interview with the independent film distribution and online streaming service called IndieFlix and the co-founder, Sheila Endring. Welcome back to Star Summer Matters. My name is Daniel Philbert. This is a podcast rally brought to you by entrepreneurbroad.com. If you're just joining us today for the first time, welcome. If you're coming back, thanks for tuning in and supporting the show. I've got a special conversation with a young lady today who's built a business, raised over $6 million in funding, all with one common mission, to build a global film community that celebrates and brings the film festival home to you, wherever you are around the world. She's an award-winning producer. She's a director and Emmy-nominated costume designer. She created the Film Festival Box, along with the Empowerment Project, Ordinary Women Doing Extraordinary Things. We're going to be talking about a lot today and she's going to be teaching you not only about how you need to start thinking differently about yourself, your business, what you're doing and why, but she's going to give you some strategies that she specifically uses in her life. It's a great episode, so stick around and tune in. Have you ever been bullied, pushed down, you know, singled out because you were different, you didn't look the same? You didn't act the same. Sheila experienced a lot of this growing up, but rather than focus on the reasons why people didn't like her, she decided to focus on the things that she liked about herself instead. Even after her parents' divorce and she was left living with a friend as a teenager, she found ways to detach, to look at things differently. And it's the same in the film industry. Rather than looking at the 1% of Hollywood, the glitz, the glamour, the successful few, she's more passionate about the underdog, the other 99% of filmmakers out there independents that are fighting to get distribution and a source of revenue from their creative work. Why she pays them, permanent watched. If you support the underdog, you'd support IndieFlix. That's why I've got it here today. You get a couple of seconds, do me a favor, leave a five-star review, and let's get into the conversation. Sheila, welcome to Start Something That Matters. Great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. You are in the States right now. I don't know how many people know you. So first, tell me, who are you? I'm a single mom. I'm a filmmaker. I'm based in Seattle, Washington, but I spent 26 years living between New York and L.A. studied political science at NYU. I wanted to be a litigator, but I fell in love with a director and ended up in film. Worked on television, Party of Five, Dawson's Creek. During my hiatus, I would produce and direct short films, feature films. I ended up with our first feature film, going around to film festivals, winning awards, and we got offers of distribution from Warner Brothers, Lionsgate, and Artisan. And I was really excited. I thought, here we go. We're on. We'd made one of the first digital features. It was $750,000. They were offering us 100000 advance. It would have cost us 80000 to deliver. And when I would have had $20,000 left over to pay to my investors, and yet there was no guarantee they would release it. There was no cap on expenses. The list goes on and all the things that were wrong with all three agreements. Started to go to friends of mine who worked at Focus and Searchlight. And I said, is this a good deal to you? And they said, oh my God, this is a great deal. You should take it. You don't make money on the first few films. Build yourself up as a brand. You start to build an audience. By your third or fourth film, you'll actually start to make money. And I just thought, well, I need to pay back my investors. How am I going to make another movie? So long story short, my producing partner, Carlo, and I started IndieFlix with our first movie. We did not accept any of those offers. And we launched IndieFlix in 2005 with 36 titles. We were DVD on demand. And we now have 8,000 titles. And we stream globally. We have shorts, features, documentaries, web series. And now we've opened it up to accept independently produced television. All of our content is highly curated. We have films from 85 countries and over 2,500 film festivals, and we pay filmmakers for every minute watched. They call me a disruptor. I'm finding ways that I think could be effective to help support independent filmmakers and at the same time 
bring some awesome, kick-ass, fabulous movies to the audience. You haven't always been the person out there that's been in film. I want to know who you were as a kid. Half Chinese and half Swedish and French, and I grew up in Breckenridge, Colorado, where I was the only kid of color in the entire county. I don't think I spoke until third grade, so I was bullied. People hated me. They'd say, Chinese, Japanese, dirty knees, what are these, and point to my boobs, shove me in a snowbank, ripped up my report card, smashed my lunch every day for two years. My sister was born nine years later, and my parents would just say, oh, you know, if they act like that, they're not worth having as friends, but they were the only kids in the whole county. So I grew up kind of quiet, so I got to use my imagination a lot. And a magazine recently did an article, and I shared that I had an invisible friend named Oliver. I had a very vivid imagination, and I always dreamed of having, like, a magazine that would have a lot of pictures and captions because I felt so much compassion when I would look at photos. As I grew up, I started to blossom a little bit. Both my parents were very entrepreneurial. My mother was an actress. My father was kind of a romantic and always wore his heart on his sleeve and he just loved people. He loved stories. and He was a very, very successful land developer during the gas crisis of the late 70s. We moved to Seattle, big old fancy house. It was massive gates and everything. And the minute we walked in, the realtor said, oh, you'll love it here. And you got such a good deal because the people got divorced and they just wanted to unload it. And I just sort of had this bolt of something go through me. And I thought, oh my gosh, my parents are going to get divorced in this house. In a year or two, I shouldn't get too comfortable. And I was 12. And they did. They got divorced. Their divorce was like the War of the Roses. They tore each other apart. But my dad always seemed to make another fortune, but then he'd marry someone and didn't work out. He never really protected himself. I've learned from his lessons. That must have been difficult for you growing up, having other people's problems affect you. I kind of tried to broker a deal with God when my parents got divorced. I said, hey, I'll be yours. I'll be your servant. I will do anything you want for the rest of my life if you keep my parents together. Well, he didn't keep them together, so I'm like, okay, I'm done with you. And I walked away, and I thought I am on my own completely. So that was empowering to a certain degree. My own belief is I could only go so far, me, myself, and I. Boyfriend that I had, his mom, I became very close to her. And she really stepped up and sort of was there for me. You know how they say you only need one person to believe in you? She was that one person. And she didn't beat me over the head with it. She would just say things while she was like washing the dishes. You know, like, don't hate your mom. Don't try so hard to not be like her because you'll end up just like her. Like, she only had to say it once. She said one thing to me once, which really kind of pissed me off when I was probably 16. She believed that we'd choose our parents. And I thought, oh, no, we don't. Like, I would not have chosen my parents. As much as I love them, I would have done a little bit better, I think. It scared me. It made me mad. And then I started thinking, what if that were true? Think of the potential that we have as human beings. And that cracked open my world. Because if I could own the fact that I picked my parents, then almost anything is possible. I actually feel like everything that's happened in my life has led me to where I am today. And I'm so grateful that I found a way to make lemonade out of lemons, that I found the silver lining in things. I am a true believer that everything happens not for a reason or for a great reason, but for many great reasons. And it's important to have that attitude in order to really find those gems that are just sitting there waiting for you to pick them up. Right, let's head to a break. When we come back, Sheila's going to be talking to you exactly how she started this business and how anybody can go out there and do what she's done. Welcome back to Start Something That Matters. My name is Daniel Philbin. This is a podcast proudly brought to you by entrepreneurabroad.com. You are listening to Sheila Andreen, the founder of IndieFlix, an independent film distribution and online streaming service that allows access to award-winning shorts, feature films, and documentaries. Let's get back to the conversation. 
did you ever think you saw yourself running a, a film business or getting into film? Did you ever see that coming? I never, ever dreamed I would own a company. If I looked at my job description now, I wouldn't even read past the second sentence because there's no way I would qualify. There's no way I would be capable of doing this job. I was doing commercials and industrials with my boyfriend at the time, who was eight years older than me and a director. And then he wanted to get married. And I was far too young. So we broke up. The Wonder Years was starting and I saw the pilot after the Super Bowl, and I thought, I need to work on that show. So I went down to their offices, and I said, I want to work here. And they said, well, we're not hiring. And I said, I'll do anything. I'll sweep floors. I'll work for free. And they said, no. And I would go back every week. And on the third week, the costume designer was there, and she said, she can help me sort hangers. I said, great. I used to do styling for commercials. So I went down. She goes, well, it's going to take you a couple days. And I did it in like two hours. So then she goes, okay, I want you to organize all the clothing and market and tag them and sort them. And I said, fine. She goes, that'll take you a couple weeks. And I did it in like three days. So then she hired me. And long story short, she ended up leaving. I took over. And on my third episode, I got an Emmy nomination. I didn't even know what that was. Producer called me, goes, congratulations on your Emmy nomination. I said, what is an Emmy? I was blessed to work on great shows because I only worked on content that I actually connected with the story. And as a result, I've worked with some of the best directors and writers and producers and actors in the business. Only working on content that you can connect with. How important is that? I care where I spend my time. If that's my rule of thumb to get involved in something, my attention span is too short. The, the gift is that I am always surrounded by amazing people. Then over the course of six months, my dad died. I got divorced and I left my good paying job in Hollywood and started a startup and moved my children back home to Seattle and launched IndieFlix. I mean, it was like a triple play. I was either totally insane or completely had absolute clarity and the universe took over. Weren't you scared? Weren't you worried? No, not a bit. It was a calling. It always felt comfortable. It always felt right. The Cinderella and the glass slipper, like it just, it was a perfect fit for me. I needed something really, really big to channel all of my energy into. I mean, everybody said I was crazy. They're all like, what are you, crazy? You make such good money. You're at the top of your game. You're so respected. In Hollywood, you get some of the best shows. Why would you leave that? And, you know, it was when I was working on a pilot for Disney with a, an actress who I got along with really well, but she could be challenging, Kristen Davis from Sex and the City. And I was running around, risking my life, driving like a bat out of hell through L.A. and Hollywood and Beverly Hills, looking for a thong that cost $150 and was handmade from Paris. And she was playing a soccer mom wearing jeans and a T-shirt. We would never have seen the thong, but she needed it. And I'm sitting there thinking, I have had no sleep. I've not seen my children. And I'm running around looking for a $150 thong that doesn't exist. And I thought, okay, this is not my life. This is, I had that moment, you know, that gestalt, that awakening. And I just thought, no amount of money, no amount of prestige, nothing is going to make me feel satisfied unless I do something else. I just wanted to start a marketplace for the films that weren't getting picked up by Hollywood. That's all. And I didn't know what that something else was, but I did recognize when my film got the distribution offer and I saw how unfair distribution is in the world for filmmakers. And I just thought this has to change. Either I need to get out of the business and find something else to do, but hello, what about the 50,000 other films out there that don't get picked up? That Hollywood serves the 1%. What about the 99%? They need an option. And at the time there was nothing. And I was in complete disbelief that filmmakers would 
mortgage their home, sell their soul, their films were good, they risked their life for it, and then they would just turn off when it came to distribution, and they were willing to live and accept exposure only, and that there was no commerce piece to it. And I just thought, that's not right. We're all like this because we're not challenging the system. The system needs to evolve and grow. We're people, we're human beings. And I was laughed out of rooms, and I had people who, good friends, say, you know what, I love you, and I don't want to see you, like, flush a great career down the toilet and ruin your reputation. Nobody, nobody, not my family, not one human being said, this is, you should do this. It's one thing to start a business. It's another thing to start a business and face the challenges that you had around the same period of time. I want to ask you a personal question. Tell me back to the day your dad died. What happened? Where were you? And how did you get through the events that followed? He died right before Christmas. He was electrocuted on his boat in Mississippi. I think I kind of knew because I just told him I was going to get divorced. I decided to go to Malibu to just go on the beach and just spend some time alone. And my sister started calling me and I didn't answer it because I just, something told me, if you don't answer that call, your life will be exactly the same. Nothing will change until you pick up the phone. So I left my phone in the car and I spent the entire day out. She left, I don't know, like 20 something messages. When I came back to my phone, I actually drove through Canaan and got back down to the 101. I called her and she's like, where have you been? Dad is dead. And I, and I knew, like I already knew somehow. But I didn't know he was dead. I just There's just a knowingness, and you can't put words on it. So I took care of that. My divorce was very quick, and everything was just kind of like upside down. And all the things that I worked so hard to be perfect at, show up, volunteer, eat right, work out, pay your bills, donate, all those things, suddenly didn't mean anything. Someone had said to me when I was little, you know, I drew a picture, and like the sky was green and the grass was blue, and they said, well, don't ever be an artist because that's what you're doing here is all wrong. So the first thing I did was I went and bought a whole bunch of canvases and paints, acrylics and oils. I, I set it all up and I, my husband moved out and my kids and I, my son was 11, my daughter was like five. And I said, okay, we're all going to paint. We're going to paint the truth. We're going to paint reality. We're going to paint love. And they're all like, what? <laughs> yeah, they call it my bohemian. Basically, I make them paint. They were like, Mom, can we go to bed? We got to go to school. And I'm like, colleges don't care about third grade. Let's paint. And I'm like, let's go to Hawaii. I broke every rule I could. I drank wine every night. I didn't go and work out all the time. I just, I stayed up as late as I want, eat whatever I wanted. And I had the best year. And then like on the 356th day, I just thought, okay, I'm done. Everything sort of reset. I kind of like purged. And when you have the rug pulled out from under you, you got nothing to lose. It's a good weeding out process. And you you give up perfect pictures. What else did you do? I took out two words from my vocabulary because I wanted to see the effect it would have on my life. I took, out, I took out the word try and I took out the word can't because those words always bothered me. Like, I'm going to try and lose weight. I'm going to try and save money. I'm going to try and come out tonight. I'm going to try and clean my house. I felt like a victim and I felt stuck. And so I removed those words. And I have to tell you, literally within the first day, your life changes. You have to stop yourself. Like someone say, oh, can you go do this tonight? And it's like, I... I you know, I'm going to go home, but thanks for asking. It's so empowering. Scary. It's scary how much your life changes when you change your words. We say our words not for other people to hear, but we say our words and we're the first to hear them. My new thing I'm doing right now is everything I say out loud is going to come true. So I'm really, really careful with my words and I'm just seeing, just playing with it to see. I think that, you know, with energy and thoughtfulness and mindfulness, i I think there's some big stuff that can happen. Did you ever see that movie, Midnight Express? It's an old one. Guys who's smuggling hash out of Turkey, and he gets caught. He's put in a Turkish prison, and all they do is walk around this circle, and there's these sort of big toga-like diaper things. And they go around this circle, and that's what you do. Everyone does. 
one day he decides he's not going to rot for the rest of his life in this prison, and he starts walking the other way. And it just throws the entire place into chaos. But that simple, tiny little move, it's like putting your pants on with your left leg first instead of your right, which you've done your whole life. Changing something up on the tiniest level changes the trajectory, and over time it is a huge change. All right, let's head to a break. When we come back, Sheila's going to be talking to you about her business model, what she's learned from bringing on investors and questions that you should ask, along with closing advice for you to build and grow your business. Welcome back to Start So That Matters. My name's Daniel Philbin. This is a podcast rally brought to you by entrepreneurabroad.com. You are listening to Sheila Andreen, the founder of IndieFlix.com, a movement to change the world one indie movie at a time. It's only five bucks a month or $50 a year, and not only are you going to get some of the best quality shorts and features and documentaries out there around the world, but you're also supporting the filmmakers because they get paid for every minute watched. We're going to be doing a giveaway at the end of this show for some year-long subscriptions, so stick around. Let's get back to the conversation. What are the ingredients? Why has this been successful and why hasn't it flopped? Because we didn't have the money to do things. One of my competitors had tons of money to do it and it they put all their money into a technology that now doesn't exist. I couldn't even wrap my head around it. The download, download to own, sitting there trying to learn everything about it. And I was like, I don't get it. Like, why would I want to download a movie? It takes four hours to download it. And then it's going to take up all this space on my computer. It just feels cumbersome. So I never wanted to spend money to implement that technology, whereas my other competitors were totally doing that. I mean, we've raised a total of $6.6 million to date. We've been in business for 10 years. We're very bootstrapped. We're very lean. It's been a blessing to not have the money. You know, everyone's like, oh, I don't have the money to do that to be successful. Well, some not having the money to do something saves you. If you're trying so hard to make something happen, it's not happening. Maybe it's because there's something else you need to adjust. There's something else you need to do to make it work. For somebody out there that's looking to raise money or they feel like they need strategic partners to help build their businesses, what can you tell them about that process? There's a whole laundry list of things you should do. But at the end of the day, the most important thing is to listen to your gut. Your gut is your compass. It's your radar. It's going to help you navigate every single situation you're going to be in. And also to be really polite and respectful because nobody wants someone with a lot of attitude. No one wants someone who sucks all the air in the room. No one wants someone who's always right. So you don't want to be deaf ears. You want to be a sponge who's always open and willing to learn. I'm all about the good fit, the good match. And be honest. Don't be afraid to say, I don't know. You know, the answer is always no, unless you ask. So don't be afraid to ask questions. Be clear on what you want to create and know that it's going to evolve and change. So be prepared to support that that growth, just like raising a kid. You're doing something that's different and with doing something different always comes opportunities, but also problems. Well, and also when you do something different, there's a massive learning curve for everyone to sort of get it and to sort of buy into it. Let's take Netflix for an example. Netflix licenses content. Netflix is one of the most powerful companies in the streaming world globally. If you're a filmmaker and you have an independent movie, and you want to put it on Netflix. Let's say you made it for $250,000, and they offer you a $50,000 licensing fee. They're going to have it for two years. They're going to pay you that $50,000, usually over eight quarters, with no interest, and 50 or 60 million people can watch it. You're not going to have any idea who's watching it. You're not going to be able to access those people. You're not going to be able to build a community. You're not going to know where in the world people are watching. And you might have just cannibalized so many other platforms. Because now, granted, you can go to iTunes and you can do the one-off sales or the rental, Hulu or 
other platforms and do the ad revenue where you can get it for free. But Netflix is actually now becoming a last stop for independent filmmakers because there's just too many people that can see it and you don't make enough money out of it. The ad revenue model, Hulu actually used to pay a really great uh, CPM. It was about $45, $50. It's since gone down. Ad network fees, there's the error rate, You know, the platform takes 50%. Uh, so by the time you whittle it down, you know, there's all these fine lines that they can split and split and split. You need a lot of people to watch in order to make any kind of meaningful revenue. So when people see like on YouTube, oh my God, it's been watched like 2 million times. That's not like 2 million people are watching all the time. That's over time, 2 million people have watched. So maybe you got a couple thousand dollars out of that. But that's it. As filmmakers with our films, I believe that, you know, we have so many opportunities and so many platforms. Be strategic about your windows, but not, don't hold it so close because if you make it hard for people to find it, they're just going to go watch something else. This is the most exciting time ever, I think, to be in the industry. So the listener understands that the filmmakers get paid per minute watch and it costs $5 per month as a subscriber or $50 a year. How does that get broken up? Talk about the specifics with regards to this business model and how it works. 30% of that $5 of the gross is what creates the royalty pool. And that's where we pay out to filmmakers each quarter. The other 70% is coding storage, marketing, bandwidth, you know, like all of that stuff. People have said to me like, well, why isn't it 50-50 or why aren't you giving the filmmakers 70%? There are other companies that will do like a rev share, and but they do have the net. And I always, when I explain this to filmmakers and I say, if you're getting 50% of the net, I mean, if they have a million dollars and they take out 800,000 to cover all of their costs and marketing and blah, 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 and you're getting 50% of $200,000, that's a lot less than 30%. Of a million. I know I've learned how companies work. What I wanted was a really clean model that could be audited, that could be looked at, that could be understood and repeated from one filmmaker to another. They can go into their dashboard on the back end and they can see how many their titles, how many minutes watched, where in the world they're watched. Pretty soon they'll be able to see like on what device, when people exited. It's such a simple model, which is what I love. What we're building out will have other fun features to keep filmmakers engaged and excited about watching the minutes grow because those minutes turn into money. Talk to me about your identity, how you've had to change. You're now a leader. You've got 18 staff. You're leading the ship. I still struggle with wanting people to take me seriously. You know, I'm really one of the only girls in extremely male-dominated business, and they just have their own club. And, like, I can't even tell you how many times I go into a room to be on a panel and the, the biggies are there. and I might as well be the girl serving the coffee. Like, and they'll say, oh, this is Sheila. She's on the panel. And they're all like, oh, hey, hi. And they go back to talking to each other because they know each other. I'm just that crazy girl with indie flicks. And I think they sometimes for years thought I was just going to go away. Like, oh, she'll never make it. Well, of course, now they're like, oh, well, you should talk to indie flicks. Like, they're doing some really interesting things. So now we've, we've really crossed over. We get, we're treated so well now. And it, I really appreciate that. But it took so long to get there. <laughs> I'm so used to being on the outside, but it also is who I was as a kid. I, was, yeah, I wasn't invited to birthday parties up until fourth grade. I didn't have a best friend. I'm kind of used to being there, and I'm a workaholic. I am super independent. I love hanging out with myself, but I also now have so many friends, and I love them all. I love people more than I've ever loved people. People are like movies for me. I love hearing their stories. I learn from everyone. So I have a greater hunger and thirst to know people. And weirdly, oddly enough, the more I learn, I feel like the less I know. Was there ever a time when you didn't consider yourself an entrepreneur? I had a catering company when I was 
living in New York. I was going to NYU. I was working two jobs, and I started a little catering company. I just printed up some business cards and got this huge gig. My company was called RSVP. My first party was on the floor of the American Stock Exchange, which doesn't even exist anymore, commemorating the crash. Like 800 people came. And then I hired friends of mine who worked in restaurants with me. We brought everything down in taxis. We prepared it all in my apartment. We had you know, smoked salmon, finger sandwiches, chocolate dip strawberries, and I got do- wines donated from the state of New York. And I was just 21 and made great money and started doing all that I did not consider myself an entrepreneur. I I considered myself someone who was trying to make some money because I needed to pay for school. And then, you know, when I was making movies, my first short film that I produced got Oscar consideration for top 10 live action short. I used to say to my producers and friends that I worked with, I'd say, yeah, I'm trying to be a filmmaker. I'm trying to produce. I'm trying to direct. And they're like, what do you mean? You are. And I said, no, not yet. And they're like, well, when you get an Oscar, then you'll say I'm a filmmaker. I never, like, I just never felt like I was achieving anything. So I had one producer say, I want you to say it right now. I want you to say, I am a producer. And I was like, ah. And it was hard for me. But once I said it, I just started practicing that. When you survive 10 years in a business that everyone kind of wrote you off and all your competitors are basically almost gone, except for the two that are still in the space that are deeply funded with big VCs and huge people. It's truly a little bit of a David and Goliath story, which will be interesting to watch it play out. So what changed? I mean, what changed for you to come to think of yourself as an entrepreneur? It's a flip of a switch. It's how you view yourself. You know, and then there's always the people who haven't done anything and they go around saying, oh yeah, I'm an entrepreneur. No, you're a lazy gamer that sits at home and does nothing. You're not an entrepreneur just because you go garden next door. It's how you view the world, including yourself. I mean, gosh, people who sell Arbonne or jewelry, you know, at trunk shows, at girlfriends' houses, they're entrepreneurs. Girl Scout cookie sells. Hello? Those girls are learning to be entrepreneurs selling Girl Scouts outside the store. We all have that in us. And I know my children have had the now the benefit. I used to say poor things, you know, growing up with their startup mom. They used to refer to IndieFlix as the third special needs child. You know, my daughter, when she was a 11 said, you know, my friends and I want to have a lemonade stand. I said, okay, how are you going to do that? She said, well, I wrote up an executive summary and we need $24. <laughs> I was like, really? And she had a map of the park. She had her signage after they split it, how much they were all going to make at the end of the day to go shopping. Tell me through your day. You mentioned being a workaholic. I wake up early, feed the dogs. I meditate for 10 breaths. That's about all I can manage in and out, clear my head. I drink espresso every morning and I drink tea. I do both. (laughs) I just started this thing called dance therapy. I dance to one song. Can't believe I said that out loud, but it really helps. Silly. You feel goofy, but it kind of is a really good way to start the day. I go to work. I love saying hello to the team, every single one of them. I can't wait to open my email. I have to wait because when I open my computer, it's like an advent calendar. Like there's just gifts in there. There's, I can't wait to see all the fun things that are going to be part of my day. All the opportunities that are waiting, all the invites to do something, all the challenges or the fires to put out. Like it's all there. I love my life. I love what I do. You mentioned painting a picture when things were going wrong and you, you, the goal behind the, the painting was to paint the truth. I want you to paint me a picture of success. How do you define it? When I'm walking around and I get to run into filmmakers who are like, I'm able to buy a house and put my kids through school because of my films being on IndieFlix. I get to go to a small country where because of IndieFlix, that community or country of filmmakers their content's being seen, they're making money, and it's affecting economies in small countries. 
Come on, Sheila, what do you want to be? You want to be the number one in the market? Do you want to be the number one around the world? Is that, is that what you want? Is that, is that the big picture? Yeah, I want to dominate the space. And not because I'm a woman, not because I don't have a degree, not because we represent the little guy, not because of, I just, because I know we can. It's not about me. I get to be part of something. And it's scary sometimes. I mean, my daughter said once, you should frame your to-do list. And I said, why? She goes, because first of all, you can barely read it. But I was looking at it and it's like, raise $40,000 for payroll by Tuesday. You know, I mean, it was like, I'm like, oh, right. Yeah. I, I deal with a lot of stress in the world. I have become more spiritual, more whole more grounded. I believe in the good in people because I've survived so many things. Because people, people have made my life rich. You have to do something that you love, that you could have fun at, because you got to be able to enjoy the process. And I have a friend who started a personal concierge service where she's basically like, she'll be anyone's wife. I mean, as far as like the domestic stuff or book a party, help decorate a room, figure out plane tickets. She'll do anything like that. She, she can't even handle the workload. It's blossoming into this whole business that she never even anticipated. Or, you know, I have another friend who started baking cookies because that's what she loved to do at Christmas time, and people love them so much they start ordering them for Christmas. Now that's blossoming into something. I mean, if you do something you love, it'll turn into something. IndieFlix, not just a business. I mean, you've got a foundation as well. You've got some big projects. You mentioned one with regards to empowering women. The Empowerment Project, Ordinary Women Doing Extraordinary Things, is really just a film that puts women on the screen bigger than life so that young girls especially can look at that and say, oh, it's just as cool to be an astronaut or a, a trafficking attorney or, you know, like any of these other things than Kim Kardashian. That film will be touring through schools, communities, and churches. It's played at the Federal Reserve. It's played at Facebook and Pixar, making its own waves and empowering women along the way. It's so funny because I don't think of myself as a woman CEO. I'm just Sheila. But I do recognize that it's nice for younger girls to have role models. And it helps them realize anything's possible. The next movie, Screenagers, is really exciting because how much screen time is healthy? So it's like food. you got to start learning how to make healthy choices with how you're going to spend your time on a screen. And then we have another film called Ask Me How I Am, which is redefining normal for youth. If you feel anxious or depression or whatever, you know what? That's actually normal. So don't feel like you're going to be given a pill or shock treatment or put in a box or labeled, let's get talking about it because there's too many kids now who have anxiety and depression and a host of other things. It's interesting because I've kind of wrestled with some of it. I never felt depressed. That's not my issue, but I have felt alone before. can't even imagine people who aren't able to find a way to overcome that. I will say the one thing I learned from being bullied is I never, ever wanted to have anyone feel the way I felt. And that was a promise I made to myself. I didn't think that I would get to have the privilege of taking out films that help so many people feel better. You're still a dreamer today, and do you think it's still important to have big dreams, to think big? You know, sometimes I dream big, and sometimes I don't have any big dreams. I just want to go help someone do something, and I have no dream. <laughs> but when you're out helping other people, you get inspired, and you get you, you replenish your well, and you feel good, and then suddenly you got like some, I don't know, some stuff to dream with. I like to go down into the weeds and in the trenches, and I like to go back up, and I like to look to like the 70 or the 80 or the 100,000-foot level to look at our industry, to look at the world, to look at people, at just where we're going. I'll be at investor meetings, and someone will say, so what's the one thing that could just take IndieFlix out immediately? And it's like, okay, the power goes out in the world? I don't know. I mean, people will say, so what do you, how do you envision the world you know, in your space in the next five years and 10 years? So I think about those kinds of things all the time. So is that dreaming? Yes, I guess so. Is it visionary? Is it big? 
I don't know if it's that. I think it's so relative. It might be big for someone else, but to read Hastings or Carl Icahn, it's not big. They would probably say to me, you need to think bigger. It's like, okay. <laughs> Give me a question for the audience. A question you want them to ponder on to think about, about business or life, something important that you think they need to answer today. What is it? What would you do if you knew you would succeed? Think about that. You know that saying, I think it's Gandhi who says it, be the change you wish to see in the world. That means you start with you. You set the bar, you set the standard of how you want people to treat you. Be willing to let go of the life you're leading so you can have the life that's waiting for you. Be bold and mighty forces will come. Believe in all of that. You don't need a whole group of people to do it. And you don't need a ton of money to do something. You need to believe in yourself. What a great way to finish a conversation. You need to believe in yourself. Sheila and Dreen, thank you so much for joining us. Here at Start Something Matters, a podcast proudly brought to you by entrepreneurabroad.com, inspiring woman with a positive, uplifting message. And if you get an opportunity to support IndieFlix, go out there and do it because you're not only helping Sheila grow her business, but you're also supporting the underdog. And I think the film's and the filmmakers that deserve not only to be paid, but to be paid what they're worth for the work that they do. If you want some additional inspiration, head over to entrepreneurabroad.com. That's where you can find all the tweetable show notes and everything you need to go out there and share what you've just listened to. Stick around to learn how you can win a one-year subscription to IndieFlix. That'll be coming up right after this. If you get a couple of seconds, do me a favor, leave a five-star review, subscribe, tell me what you think of the show. I'll see you very shortly for the next episode. My name is Daniel Philbin, signing off. I told my dad once I want to make a million dollars. He said, that's it? And I was like, what do you mean that's it? I think that's a lot. He said, it could go fast. It's giveaway time. You know what? I'm so pumped up to that episode that this giveaway just makes me a whole lot happier. IndieFlix will be giving away 10 unlimited passes so that you can access their subscription-based model for one year. That's one year complete subscription to IndieFlix.com where you can sit back and when you get a spare second when you're not building your business to relax, enjoy the documentaries, the features from all around the world. All you need to do is, if you're on iTunes right now, subscribe, leave a five-star review, and tell us what you think of the show. I want to know what you think, and it helps us out. If you're on entrepreneurabroad.com right now, subscribe, Facebook it, tweet it out, message me at thinkbigger on Twitter, or send me an email via the website. Really appreciate you sticking around to the end of this conversation. Thanks for supporting the show. My name's Daniel Philbin. I'll see you very shortly. Take care.